And in fact, that's one of the of the goals of the church is to be self-propagating, self-reproducing, um, self-leading, um, self-sufficient, and, and even self-sacrificing. All of those things speak to what a, a New Testament church should look like. Appointment Ministries Podcast Network, strength for today's pastor. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Strength for Today's Pastor, a resource designed to strengthen you, the senior or lead pastor of your church. Here's your host, Bill Holdridge. Bill is the director of Poiman Ministries, which is a team of former longtime senior pastors who are available to strengthen pastors, to strengthen churches. Welcome to Strength for Today's Pastor. This is podcast number 30. And we're talking with Jim Larson, and we're talking with Jim, Pastor Jim Larson, about ministry that is sustainable by equipping leaders who will equip other leaders. Jim is married to his wife, Janice. They are serving now in East Africa, in the country of Tanzania, and in some of the surrounding countries. And Jim, I am so excited about having this uh, conversation with you because I love the story of what God is doing in Tanzania. It's a very wonderful and unique work for that country, and it just speaks volumes to this subject of equipping leaders who will equip other leaders for ministry that is sustainable. So welcome to the podcast program today, and thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate this opportunity, but I really appreciate um, how you how you reminded all of us that it, it is the work that God is doing uh, in and through His servants. So, uh, thank you so much for reminding me of that as well, even as I begin here. You're welcome. Uh, and just to share a little bit, uh, thank you. And just to share a little bit about me uh, and my wife, we arrived in uh, in Tanzania, in East Africa, in 2011. Uh, after fulfilling secular careers, we have a full-time ministry to train pastors and church leaders how to systematically study the Bible, very simple, very modest, and then teach the same Bible study method to their church members so that in a culturally relevant and suitable manner so that they all become doers of the Word as God uh, wills. And then uh, before that, though, uh, both my wife and I, we had what we would like to think were successful secular careers, and I've spent my entire adult life in and around the military, uh, the uh, Air Force, where I learned uh, discipline, uh, self-discipline, leadership, administration, and how to create an effective organization built around a set vision and strategy. Uh, And also, as I would, of course, uh, work, I would also uh, participate in education. And in my education, my secular education has helped me to visualize the situation uh, look at the good things, look at the not-so-good things, uh, contemplate ways to improve the overall effectiveness and efficiency of whatever I was studying, and then implement organizational improvement strategies. So that's kind of uh, the, the tools and the gifting that I bring, in addition to my spiritual gifting, to my missionary service uh, in Tanzania. The Lord uses everything, doesn't he? He, he uses our upbringing. He uses our proclivities. He uses our careers, and he certainly has done that with you. I've watched it firsthand and also with Janice, and it's wonderful how the Lord has done that with you guys. You mentioned uh, around a set vision, a clear vision, that 
the strategy, the organization, and the things that you've learned how to do, they all derive themselves from the vision that you have. And the vision that you have in Tanzania uh, has changed over the eight years you've been there. Can you tell us about how that worked out? Yes, and, uh, and I think that's very important because from a vision comes uh, various strategies, but they all must be touched back onto that vision to ensure that uh, each strategy, each, each program, call it what you want, is consistent with that vision. And so as I mentioned earlier, we had a, a very modest vision, and that was to, um, to train and equip uh, pastors and church leaders how to systematically study the Bible. Uh, a very simple, but a very, um, a very important uh, thing here for the people in Africa. Uh, we believe that as they would study the Bible properly, they would then apply the Bible's truths to their lives and then become uh, doers of the Word. So that was our vision, and everything that we did, all the seminars, all of the workshops, uh, all of the time spent with the pastors and church leaders was uh, flowed from uh, strategies from that vision. And so, you know, obviously, uh, we look at that, and uh, and we felt at the time that uh, that was a good a good strategy, a good vision. But as we examined it, as we began to look at, okay, what is the fruit coming from this, this vision, this, these strategies? What were we producing so that the one day when we would leave, what would be left uh, behind? Would, would our time in Tanzania have made any difference? Or as Paul says in, uh, in Thessalonians, that it was not, his work was not in vain. And so uh, we, we did. Uh, we did evolve our vision, our strategy into something more significant than simply training people how to study the Bible. Well, that that wasn't uh, all that easy to measure even, was it? I mean, you would equip pastors and uh, some people that weren't pastors, but how did you know if they were even using it, right? We never knew. And so our measurement criteria was simply how many seminars were we doing each month and how many people were in the seminars. And so we had... Those were our metrics. Okay, I did uh, three or four seminars uh, this month, which was basically all we could afford at the time. And then uh, there were 300 people in the seminar. And that was simply uh, my work. That was it. And so that's, that's the only thing that we had to measure by, and that's the only thing, only fruit um, that we could see visibly. Because if you think about it, um, as we're doing these seminars, there was no time uh, to go back. And query a pastor. Hey, uh, what do you think? You know, how has it been? And, and by the way, they're they're kind of on the side of telling me everything I want to hear. So they're always going to tell me, "Oh yeah, things are going great. We're doing what you told us." And come back. And so that's kind of it. It was frustrating over time to to really uh, think that we left our families, we left everything, and not that we didn't mind. It was all willing, but then there was going to be the possibility that there would be nothing that left there that would say that we really uh, made a difference while we were there. So something changed, and you're, you're looking at that objectively and honestly 
changed and helped you to develop a, another way of looking at things, another metric, another goal? And what's the new goal? Well, and, and again, we talked about the uh, secular feeding the spiritual. And indeed, it was a secular idea that, that gave us the metaphor uh, to, to update and to uh, revise our uh, ministry vision. And that was uh, this idea, and we see it everywhere, since uh, Tanzania declared its independence in the 50s and began uh, nationalizing um, some factories and, and some uh, other some plants and places that were operated by foreigners and turning them over to, uh, to uh, nationals over time. And fast forward now, you know, almost 70 years later, and these factories are, are basically dead because there was nothing uh, to help the nationals sustain what was going on inside. Basically, it was it was given to them. Uh, they had no skin in the game, uh, no investment in the success of the plant or or, uh, or the place that they were producing something. And, and so you see um, all of these uh, dead, uh, dilapidated, uh, just shells of buildings as kind of uh, as as monuments to that failed strategy of failing to start something with sustainability or enduring uh, legacy in mind. So that really drove us uh, to a new ministry strategy. Uh, and that, this took, by the way, almost five years uh, to really um, come to fruition and come to clarity. And that was, we take this idea of teaching uh, church leaders and pastors how to systematically study the Bible and then take the next step and take the method and the tools and then to develop inductive or expositional sermons so that now these pastors are not simply just studying the Bible, they're actually preaching the Bible biblically in a way that is culturally relevant and suitable to their people. Basically, we're, we're training and equipping expositors of the Word. And that's what made the difference for them. I, that that phrase is so interesting to me, Jim. The the phrase they had no skin in the game, they weren't they weren't able to be fully invested in it. And I'm thinking as we're talking about the word that we as leaders in the West often use to describe those that are serving in ministries in our churches, we call them volunteers. And to me, a volunteer is someone who doesn't have skin in the game. He shows up, she shows up for this particular thing. Once it's over with, they're done. And there's nothing necessarily that's going to continue beyond that. And that's the kind of thing that may be destructive to actually what we're trying to produce in our churches. If we're trying to make disciples, why should we call them volunteers? And and so how did that work out in Tanzania? What What converted them from having no skin in the game within the church for these pastors to having, as you say, skin in the game? Well, one of the most fascinating uh, cultural hard, hard lessons that we learned was that um, Tanzanians have no concept of the term or the idea of a volunteer. It, it, there's no word for it in Kiswahili, which is their national language. And, uh, and the concept of it, of this idea of, of giving up your time without pay, which is basically what a volunteer does, uh, meant actually not only nothing to them, it was actually a negative connotation. 
So, again, by the time we learned this idea, we did have some uh, trusted relationships with some nationals. And so we kind of had some give and take on, okay, I understand you don't use that word, but what what is close? You know, what what do you do to uh, to serve in your church? And that word serve, we, we literally gave them the answer to our own question, and that is they— they talk about uh, being called by God to serve in the church. And most of these that serve are not paid. There's no real paid positions in their churches. All the pastors, all the leaders, they're all bivocational because the tithes that come in are not sufficient to have any paid staff. And so all the money that comes in basically goes to programs, to uh, sending out the gospel. And so we learned quite quickly that the word volunteer in their cultural context is really served by using the word for servant. And what's even more fascinating is their word for minister in Kiswahili has the same meaning as the word servant or to serve. And so uh, they already knew it actually much better Hmm then we know it with the word volunteer because the idea of a of someone who serves, someone who's called by God, um, they're investing their life in whatever it is, that work that God has called them to serve in. We in the West need to understand that fact because most many pastors, if not most pastors, even in the United States, are bivocational, at least to some degree. The small church or the normal-sized church is more like 100 adults rather than the larger churches that can, can afford multiple staff members. And even in the larger churches that can afford to pay multiple staff members, the percentage of people that are bivocational, if they're serving within the body of Christ, is going to be in the 95% and upwards range. So almost everybody that serves is going to be bivocational, and many pastors and church leaders are bivocational. So why not shift the terminology from volunteer to servants like you suggest? That's exactly what it ought to be. Well, and uh, you know, over time, uh, words evolve, uh, meanings evolve, and uh, probably several hundred years ago, the idea of a servant, uh, the idea of a slave, even though we see it in the Bible— was was changed because it had a quote-unquote negative um, connotation. And so um, that idea has uh, become less used, but the idea of, of volunteer is a softer, uh, gentler way of basically um, saying the same thing, but it, it adds this idea of um, when I finish my volunteer time, whether it's at the end of the day and I, and I know I'm coming back or my volunteer time is up and I move on, I had nothing personally invested in the outcome. Mm-hmm. I had nothing personally invested, uh, even though even though I did serve um, this completely idea that the, the term volunteer speaks more of a, a detached service. I have no vested interest, one way or the other, good or bad, in what the outcomes are. Because of their understanding in Tanzania of what a servant is, what a slave is, not in the slavery sense of the bad part of our U.S. history, but in the good sense of being a slave of Christ, 
when you when you have those kinds of people, it makes it a lot easier to fulfill Second Timothy two two, doesn't it? Which says, "The things which you have learned from me among many witnesses," Paul wrote to Timothy. The same commit to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Easier to pass it on to those that'll pass it on when men and women are committed to serving Jesus Christ because they know they're called to do so. Right, and that is so important from a missionary perspective, because when we come, uh, right, and we teach, for all intents and purposes, it stops. It, it doesn't go beyond that, because, again, in our culture, if, if, you, um, if you recommend something, if you teach something, um, you basically own it, and, and therefore, yeah, you have to pay for its propagation. If you want Second Timothy two two to happen, then you got to provide funding and resources for that idea to continue. But a a Tanzanian, a, a national, and really any any cultural context, if they take ownership of it uh, at the beginning, then it can become. Second Timothy two two propagating, and in fact, that's one of the of the goals of the church is to be self propagating, self reproducing, um, self leading, um, self sufficient, and, and even self sacrificing. All of those things speak to what a, a New Testament church should look like. So when I come into their context and I begin trying to build. Um, my church, my way, in their cultural context, it leaves out a number of those important biblical factors on what a true self-reproducing uh, or self-propagating um, biblical church should be. And that's sustainable. If the church had to go underground in the United States because of persecution or economic trouble that caused them to lose their facilities or whatever might happen— this model you're talking about, which is the New Testament model, is sustainable. The church would go on because the vast majority of the people in the fellowship are called to serve Jesus, and they're doing it. Amen to that. And, you know, I love uh, to fall back on, on Psalm 127.1, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who, who build it. And, you know, we can interpret that, you know, however we want, but basically what it's saying is, is God's work done His way will endure and will bear fruit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have to be very mindful, especially as a Western a missionary. You know, we, we come with many good ideas. We really do. That work great in a Western context. But then when we try and bring that here, it, can, it, it tends to fail. And the importance, and I really haven't spoken to this yet very much, but again, what does all of this flow from? Well, what it flows from is this idea of what's, what has been the history, uh, especially the modern history of, of Africa. Uh, what, what do you see when you go uh, to the media, to, to the Internet, to wherever? And what you see is a lot of challenges and a lot of problem areas that, that the West, whether it's secular or spiritual, has really um, tried to take on, but using unbiblical means to do it. And what I mean by that is it's basically of throwing money at it. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so by helping 
national churches understand biblically what their role and responsibility is in their local community or local village, call it what you want, and then uh, within the region and within their nation and even within the world, then what you see is a local church led and empowered by the Holy Spirit, built on the Word of God, developing strategies and plans to look at these problems and to solve them. You see, um, if these solutions are locally designed, if they're locally implemented, they have a much greater probability of succeeding in the long term. It will not probably in any way look like a solution that I would do, and I'm solution-oriented, but what fascinates me all the time is is how I look at a situation and I think of a solution and then I kind of back off and watch what they're going to do because now they're trained and equipped to do that. And what they come up with is so far outside the box that I put them in, but it's incredibly effective in their context. You've done a lot of listening and a lot of watching since you've been there serving in Tanzania, haven't you, Jim? Yes, and I think a lot of that was driven by some of the humbling, uh, just flat-out humbling experiences we experienced <laughs> when we first arrived mm. in Tanzania. Uh, we had never been to Africa. Couldn't tell you where it was on the map, and maybe that's why the Lord called us to that area, because he gave us a clean slate, and uh, and we waded into it just like uh, any any good military person would. And uh, we learned some hard lessons, and and one of those was, you know, uh, be still before the Lord and listen. And and so um, we learned the lessons, and and the Lord brought us, um, you know, the the most awesome, uh, faithful, humble uh, nationals uh, to kind of pick us up and and help us and work together. And when I figured out that. It, it was not effective for me to tell them, I am here to help, but more actually that, that I am here to work with you. Mm. What can we do together? When I treated them as equals mm-hmm. in the gospel, you know, uh, saved by Christ for his work, um, and, and then I left them. Because believe me, over the decades, the centuries that they have been uh, trained, to just be quiet before Westerners, and if they quiet, they're quiet long enough. The Westerners are going to give them money, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so they figured out very quickly that if they're quiet, I'm going to be quieter. If they're going to sit, I'm going to sit, and and then I would encourage them. You know what the Bible says now? What are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to disobey it? Or are you going to get out there? and do what God has called you to do. Mm. And that was transformative. That really was. And that's probably the biggest mistake that uh, churches in the U.S. make. They, they began searching out this one national, this one church that they want to invest in and, uh, and raise it up and then uh, make it look like a, a Western church. And then uh, everyone's happy and everybody's, you know, it, it's almost like 
you know, that the, the guilt of having all this affluence in the West is reduced because I'm sending money uh, to, to Africa to go do something. Wow. And, and there's so much danger in that because um, people are smart here and they learn very quickly how to get more money. And if they act helpless and if they act uh, unable, if they act like a little child, then money tends to flow. But if you treat them like an equal adult called by God to a specific ministry, now they have a choice. You know, are they going to continue to disobey and not fulfill those responsibilities, or are they going to get after it and go do what God has called them to do? Because, again, most of them have no idea that God has called their church to make a difference in their community and in their nation and in the world. So the whole thing has changed. It's flipped right side up. From the beginning, there was the idea, let's just train as many pastors and Christian workers as we can in these seminars. That's the measurement of success. Now the measurement is how many are actually teaching the Bible, how many pastors are actually teaching the Bible in their own churches. At the beginning, there was the idea that we will fund from the West the seminars, we will send money to make sure that these seminars happen. But now, in these days, little money, very little money is going from the West to Tanzania, and they're finding the resources from within themselves to do the work that they do in a Tanzanian culturally um, modified way. And the fruit is amazing. How many pastors would you estimate, Jim, are teaching the Bible uh, chapter by chapter, expositionally in their churches uh, now as a result of what's been going on, what the Lord's done over these years? Well, that's a very good question, and it, it really causes us, again, to, to contemplate you know, where we've come from and, uh, and where we've, we are today and where we pray the Lord is going to bring us. And basically, it was not one of these, we wake up, the light goes on off over our head, oh my gosh, I've been doing this all wrong. And now I need to do this. This has been uh, an evolution. And so I know it's going to be a long answer to a short question, but basically um, this, what I'm going to tell you is not just something that was given in the dream and then we woke up and now we're good to go and we're going to do it. It's basically was uh, five years of, of research, uh, five years of meeting with a, a dedicated team of 27 a Tanzanian senior pastors, all of which are leading uh, a church in their context, uh, two of which were uh, the national leader of their denomination. So uh, clearly these men were uh, have been successful, were successful uh, in their own context, and they understood what we were trying to achieve, and they then helped us transform the vision from essentially teaching how to study the Bible to now how to preach the word expositionally. The, the real challenge we faced was, okay, it's one thing to teach a method, to teach a philosophy, give them the tools, but then their next thing was, okay, now we don't know the Bible. We know how to teach it, but we don't know it. So can you help us learn more of the Bible? That moved us to where we are today, and that's Basically, 
We now have uh, five uh, Bible college campuses, four in Tanzania, one in Kenya, where we bring in um, the highest performing uh, pastors because we can't bring them all in. And we we work with them over the course of 30 months in uh, 10-day sessions. So uh, you'll hear a lot of numbers, but basically we are with them for 52 days. Uh, They come in five times, 10 or 11 days at a time and we equip them with biblical knowledge. But we also refine their preaching capabilities. So over these 52 days, over 30 months, they're going to develop 30 sermons, and they're going to preach 10 times and receive feedback on how well they did. So that by the time they finished, they have um, very good knowledge of every book in the Bible, they have heard expositional studies in 12 books of the Bible, so they're equipped with detailed biblical knowledge. And you're talking books like Acts, Romans, Revelation, Daniel, Hebrews, 1st, 2nd uh, Timothy, and so on, books like that, mm-hmm. that are really uh, strong for pastoral ministry. And then um, they graduate. And so how many are doing that today? Well, to date, we have around 160 graduates from our program, all of which are preaching the word expositionally. And then um, as far as teachers, who does the instructing in our Bible colleges? It's essentially all nationals. So I have 14 Tanzanians and Kenyans who have been through the program for 30 months two times because they go through once. We identify them as the top performer. So of the 160, we pulled out 14 to then equip with the method on how to teach the Bible. Uh, I'm sorry, how to teach inductive Bible study. But then also we train them to be one of our Bible college instructors. And so 160 graduates today, all teaching the Word expositionally, but these 14 men they are the best of the best. I would put them up against any uh, expositor from the West. In fact, an expositor from the West could not even be near as effective as they are in an African context because our ministers can speak to the Tanzanian and the East African heart much more effective than even I can. I've been there eight years, and I can say things, I can uh, do things, and I can encourage, exhort. Uh, with the sharpest of words spoken in truth, and I'll close the heart, and they can speak the very same words. And that heart will be open, and they'll go, the person they spoke those strong words to from the Bible, uh, they'll go out and do. And so that's the blessing. So many expositors, solid, verse-by-verse teachers of the Word, equipped with biblical knowledge, equipped with the gospel, uh, they're going out all across uh, East Africa, teaching the Word of God the same way that God gave it, verse by verse, idea by idea, book by book. Second Timothy two two. What a great story! The faithful men are committing these things to other faithful men who will teach others also. And I, I just sense that this, if this continues, if this is what they continue to be and to do, this is going to become exponential growth in terms of the numbers of pastors that are teaching the Bible throughout East Africa, that is just such an exciting prospect. And we're not talking about working within a a single denomination here. We're talking about 
working across all kinds of denominations. That's not the criterion at all. It's who's hungry, who wants to grow, who wants to be in the Word, who wants to learn the Word, obey the Word, and teach the Word. That's what's been going on, and it's an amazing, amazing model. And it was all grown out of the vision and the metric uh, being adjusted in in your heart and in the heart of those that were working with you over a period of time, five years, you said. Yes, that was uh, really uh, detailed research, you know, uh, spending time in focus groups uh, with the men that were uh, in our program, uh, teaching within our program, uh, living out basically expositional preaching in their own context long enough to then be able to speak in a way where they could give us advice and counsel on how uh, to evolve our overall program. And it, it really has uh, evolved. And let me qu- quite quickly share with you how it has evolved, because uh, we're always listening. We're always giving our, the students in our Bible colleges a platform to say, okay, uh, what can we, uh, intensive care ministries, do better uh, to serve you? And so one of the consistent themes that kept coming up was, okay, um, we've been invited to your program because we are experienced, mature pastors leading an active church. So what about um, the young people in our church who either are an evangelist getting ready to start a church or they're our assistant pastors who are not qualified to come to your program, but yet need to know how to do what we're doing because soon they're going to do it. And so from those types of questions, those uh, types of entreaties, we uh, fielded a new program this year. And again, all built on equipping nationals with the nationals teaching. And that's a, uh, a, a one-year certificate in church planting. And we equip them, these young people, who've been nominated by their senior pastor or bishop uh, to come into the program. We equip them with biblical knowledge, all books of the Bible, uh, 10 different exegetical studies than what's in the uh, diploma program. And and then also they're going to develop sermons and they're going to preach. And so we're, we're graduating. uh, And that's the first class will graduate this December. We're graduating, um, young men in the 25 to 30-year-old range who have been already examined by their own denomination as somebody who they're going to consider to go start a church somewhere. And now uh, these men are ready from the first day to preach the Word. Mm. So now we're helping equip a a, a national denomination. We're not there to plant uh, churches under our denomination. We're there to to simply equip uh, a, a, a pastoral candidate in the context of their national denomination. And now, why is that important? Because it's something that they are fully invested mm-hmm. in, something that they have developed mm-hmm. in their context, something that is already successful, something that is already self-propagating or self reproducing. And now all we are simply doing is working within the framework that the nationals have given us. We don't 
uh, talk about any of the how-tos, how to start a church. Um, we assume their denomination knows how to do that. And we're talking with uh, with with uh, denominations that have three to four to five thousand churches already in Tanzania alone. They know how to do mm. it. And so all we're doing is training and equipping and letting them stand biblically. And the blessing there is is they start really getting this idea of going and making disciples. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This idea of sending someone who's called Second Timothy two two to go and, 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 and start a church. And then from the first Sunday, from the first day, preaching the Word of God in a way that people have simply not heard. And that is verse by verse, expositionally, showing what the text means and then how to apply it to transform the life. Mm-hmm. They're seeing the power of the Word. You know, this is remarkable, Jim, because... This thing has gone in the direction of sustainability at 100 miles an hour. And it's been wonderful because in the beginning, when these classes were taking place, these 10-day classes, there were thousands of U.S. dollars that were being poured into sending American teachers over to do this. But now they don't need that. You've got a team of, of Tanzanians that are that are doing all the instructing themselves and very adequately, not just adequately, very wonderfully, everything's changed. Everything has changed. And it's a testimony to me of, of this uh, whole thing working in that these denominational leaders, bishops over hundreds of churches, some of them are willing to come and they're not getting anything financially out of it. They're, they're just learning. They're just receiving tools, and they're, they realize they're part of something that God is doing, and they're excited about it. Missions doesn't have to be the U.S.-funded, expensive behemoth that we've made it to become. That's, I love that. I love that whole approach. It's, um, it's been a challenge for us. Our philosophy is, is evolved mm-hmm. um, somewhat, uh, almost always due to hard lessons. But at the same time, um, we are blessed when folks do come and, and do um, work with our ministers side-by-side uh, side in, in a teaching role. And so there's a blessing there. But at the same time, um, we, look, we are uh, completely 100% dedicated and, and, and devoted to employing nationals in everything uh, that we do, mm-hmm. including um, building the colleges um, that we have, um, our our main campus, and these these numbers you know, tend to blow people away. But our main campus, which is a full Bible college designed to house 22 students and three teachers, and provide all the facilities that they need um, to to be there for uh, 10 or 11 days on site. So they live there; they're not allowed to leave. That campus cost a total of $22,000 to build, hmm. the first seven of which came from a Tanzanian. Hmm. So <laughs> we have $15,000 with a skin in the game there. Hmm. And, uh, and I mean, we are just uh, producing um, graduates in, in facilities, hmm. you know, hmm. basically uh, built by Tanzanians. 
And uh, they don't, I'm telling you, they don't look like what we would say. What's well, a nice Bible college. Mm-hmm. But at the end, end of the day, as God says in his word, he looks at the inside. And what's going on inside of these locally designed and built buildings is is the Word of God being taught, the Word of God uh, being applied, the Word of God uh, being glorified and, 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 and magnified. And that, again, that's not something that we learned uh, overnight, mm-hmm. even by trial and error. It was basically the hard lessons and our guys um, giving us uh, feedback that sometimes hurt. It's like um, Pastor Jim, you're not doing this the right way, <laughs> and, and so you gotta you gotta give them that. Uh, sometimes you're gonna hear those words, yeah, and uh, and uh, they speak the truth in love. That's cool. So um, I, I think something else that may help. What's what is what does a typical month look like for us? Um, we teach uh, with cohorts. Most people don't understand that idea, but. Basically, um, we put together a class of, of pastors, and, uh, and usually 12 to 18 is a good number because of the practical preaching exercises that happen every night. You can't have a class of 40, mm-hmm. because in a 10-day session, we want them to develop, to write 10 sermons, I'm sorry, uh, six sermons, and preach two times. And, and so that way, everybody gets a chance to preach a lot and then receive feedback. And so um, we have uh, basically every year six cohorts graduate, about 70 students, and then another uh, 75 to 85 students come in in six cohorts. Any given time, we have 16 cohorts encompassing around 200 to 250 students in operation at all five campuses, uh, producing, again, anywhere from 60 to 70 graduates. Mm-hmm. Because though we would like, you know, somebody begins the program on day one, and after 30 days out of a 15-person class, we're going to lose two to four students for whatever reason. Well, we have quite a few, unfortunately, they pass away, mm-hmm. uh, and, and so on. So. You know, it's tough in that regard, but the small class size allows us to focus on improving the individual pastor's uh, ability to preach. In fact, our kind of our guys uh, have a motto. They pulled part of it off the web. But basically, our ministry vision motto is now transforming biblical preaching one pastor at a time. I love it. That We touch everything back to that. Mm. Everything, every potential idea, program, new way is touched back to that motto, transforming biblical preaching one pastor at a time. And it just says, you know, we're here to change it, and then we're here to do it uh, by working with each pastor to make them a better preacher. We can't emphasize enough the fact that when that became the vision and that became your motto, that changed the structure, that changed the methodology. We oftentimes get it reversed. We try a methodology with no clear vision or direction we're wanting to go in. So I appreciate that. That that just helps so much. And if that's the vision of a pastor of a church anywhere in the world, 
to make disciples that love the Word of God, that understand the Word of God, that know how to interpret the Word of God, and know how to apply the Word of God and live it, if that's the end goal, which is what it means to make disciples, then it's going to change the way we um, lead our ministries. So that's what you've shared with us. You've shared with us, change the vision and you'll change the message. You've shared with us that we're always learning and listening to those that we're working with and helping to train them. And we're developing true disciples that are called to serve Jesus. That's sustainable ministry. And those disciples will make other disciples. It's just what they are. They've become disciples. And thanks for clarifying, Jim, the the idea that the guys that, uh, you know, you're still interested in having pastors come over and teach, although the ministry is not completely dependent or even entirely dependent upon that, uh, you, you still like it when a Bible teaching uh, pastor comes over and shares a little bit in the school. Um, that's a wonderful thing. Thanks for clarifying that. And I also know that you're open to the idea of having interns come over and observe and help in the ministry and observe and help so that they can learn missions. Um, so that's an open door too also, isn't it? Yes. In fact, we have, um, we have worked with a couple of colleges to bring over uh, interns to satisfy uh, college requirements uh, for a, a missions-related program, needing internship in the field. So um, we see uh, internship as quite helpful um, to us, but also as an opportunity uh, to disciple a person who may be contemplating um, coming into full-time ministry, Absolutely. whether it's in a in a U.S. context or a foreign context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, and so we, you can see our you know, use a military term, our operations tempo is very high and we're always, um, needing help. And, uh, and so, yes, we welcome it. Um, there are so many different ways to get plugged in. Obviously we pastor a church there in our local community, not so much because we believe in planting Western churches in foreign context, but uh, for us, it gives us an opportunity to provide an English-speaking church in a foreign language culture, but at the same time, give us, um, we're walking in the shoes of a pastor. We stand in front of them, we teach them, and now we're able to walk in their shoes. Mm-hmm. And they see that. Now, many come to our church and they attend. And, uh, and so, yes, we have all the, all the ministries associated with churches that people could intern in, whether it's working with children, we planted a, another church at on a on the campus of a boarding high school, uh, where we every Sunday we do a church service, you know, like Calvary Chapel style, and uh, and it's basically we do the music and the word and we teach the youth, mm-hmm. and, and we need help there. There's so many different other ways that if people wanted to exercise their gift in a foreign context and probably learn more than they will help others learn. Uh, then this is something that they should consider and we would certainly consider as well. Yeah, and even if they come back to the States after a, an internship in Tanzania, these these ideas, these things that they will have learned 
are transferable to their experience in the States. So let's talk about um, how people can get a hold of you, Jim. Uh, what's a website that they can go to to learn more? Maybe there's a, a pastor of a church that's looking for a missions-related uh, program or opportunity uh, to really invest in as a church. How can they do that? Uh, what are the websites? What are the, what's the contact info? Great. Uh, you can um, reach me by email at uh, jim.larson, L-A-R-S-O-N, 56 at gmail.com. And uh, jim.larson56 at gmail.com. And um, we get a lot of questions. We give a lot of advice to folks uh, who just, who just want to know some certain things about the culture. Um, and they want to visit, so we, we help them in that regard as well. Okay, good. So email to Jim Larson, Pastor Jim Larson. His email address is jim.larson56, the number 56, at gmail.com. And then the website website is jimandjanislarson.com. And that's the way to get in touch with them. If you want more information or want to be involved in some way or send an intern or perhaps contribute financially to some project that has to do with training pastors and leaders, whatever is on your heart, uh, those are the ways to get in, in contact with Jim. Thanks, Jim, for joining us. This has been so helpful, and uh, we, we so appreciate how God has called you and how you and Janice have surrendered to that call and are serving the Lord. It's exemplary. It's inspiring. Uh, to so many of us. So thanks again for joining us. Okay, uh, Bill, thanks so much for, for having us and allowing us to tell the story of what God is doing through us there in East Africa. Oh, uh, you're welcome. So maybe you could just say a prayer for those that are listening to this podcast. Okay, Lord Jesus, we just uh, thank you, uh, Lord, for this, again, opportunity, Lord, to be your witness, uh, to testify about the amazing work that you're doing uh, in Tanzania. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that people would receive it uh, in the right way. It's not as work that Janice and I are doing, but, Lord, work that, that you are doing uh, through us, but at the same time in us as well. I pray, uh, Lord, that, uh, that your word would be uh, glorified, that your name would be magnified in, in all of this, uh, Lord. And uh, for those who, who may be um, seeking, you know, your will, uh, Lord, I, I pray maybe this, this, what they've heard today, could help uh, clarify uh, Lord, a call that you have placed on someone's life, maybe to uh, forsake all and, and go into the foreign field, uh, Lord, and, and understand that they can do that uh, with whatever background, uh, secular-wise, uh, that they have. So we just uh, thank you. We thank you um, for this ministry uh, that Bill uh, leads and uh, that you use uh, to glorify your name as well. And uh, Lord, may it bear uh, much fruit to your glory. We just uh, love you so much. And uh, Lord, we just want to give you all the credit for this work. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Jim. My pleasure. And uh, thank you again for uh, allowing us to share. Strength for Today's Pastor is sponsored by Poyman Ministries. You can find us at poymanministries.com. That's spelled P-O-I-M-E-N ministries.com. If something in today's program prompts a question or desire to connect with us, or if you have a comment or a topic idea for a future episode, 
just shoot us an email at strongerpastors at gmail.com. That's strongerpastors at gmail.com. Until we meet again, may you continue to be a strengthened pastor.